Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. In this week's episode, I am talking with the lovely Dr. Katrina Shake. Katrina is an acute internal medicine SPR and chief registrar at the Royal College of Physicians. And in this episode together, we talk about the importance of speaking up, documenting when things aren't right. We talk about kindness and that it's not a weakness. And Katrina talks a lot about that. And I really, really think it's important for leaders and anybody to know that you can be kind. It doesn't mean that you are not strong. It does mean that you can give people the benefit of the doubt and give them chances without being a doormat. So I think that's a really, really important message. We talk about stress and how to manage that. And we talk about conflict and toxic work environments and leadership and different leadership styles. She's really, really inspirational. She's really nice. She's easy to talk to. Someone said to me, what makes a good podcast guest or what makes an excellent interview? And it's the guest. It's the guest coming on, being open, being honest and being just themselves. Yeah. And that's what Katrina did. She just turned up and it was it was fab. And before you dive in, I just wanted to take this opportunity. If you're listening for the first time, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. And if you are a regular listener, I cannot thank you enough. It's so exciting and so cool to see our download figures just go from thousands to thousands and thousands. Um, I really, really do appreciate your time. There's loads of podcasts and the fact that you listen to ours. Just thank you. Thank you so much and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Katrina. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? you? I'm good. I feel quite sprightly, although I woke up and I was, we were just talking about exercise and I, I like to get up early and I like to go out for a run, but I looked out of the window and was just like, oh God, it's freezing. <laughs> um, yeah, I got really cold recently, I must yeah, admit. But I did it. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. For those of, you, uh, those of my listeners that may not know you, and you've got a huge, huge fan base, huge following, please could you share who you are and what you do? Yes, yeah, so I'm Katrina. I'm an acute medical reg working in London. 
And yeah, so I've done a post, I'm postgraduate medicine. So I did an undergraduate uh, degree first at King's College, and then I did postgraduate medicine at Warwick. So I'm kind of in my senior registrar training, and um, I've, I'm doing some leadership and management this year. Yeah, it's all very exciting. So that's what I'm up to at the moment. And you're also a painter. Yes. So, yeah. So in my spare time, I do paint, particularly oils, love painting. Um, yeah. So just whenever I feel like painting, I will, I'll do something, whether it's for friends or whether it's for myself. So, yeah. That's, so it's that's really cool. So what led you into medicine? I think it's, I don't know if it's a standard answer anymore, but I just love people and I love science. And I just thought those two together, medicine was perfect for me. I really enjoy knowing how the human body works. I think it's fascinating. I still do. You know, in medicine, you're constantly learning. And I like having the team around you that you're constantly with, you know, a lot of people. You're not working in isolation. I love meeting people. I love getting to know stories. And, you know, I do that on a daily basis, you know, so I I meet so many people every day in medicine and yeah, it's just, I find it fascinating. And if I can help in any way possible, that just, you know, is just a bonus really. So yeah, so I've, I've always wanted to do medicine from an early age. And what is the role of, you said you were chief registrar? Yeah, so I've, that's something new this year. So that's part of the Royal College of Physicians. Basically, it's a leadership and management program um, run by the Royal College, um, just for doctors you know, to understand the other side that we don't normally see as clinicians. So what goes on behind the scenes, you know, how to run a department, the role of clinical and medical directors, you know, the CEO, you know, of the hospital, and just basically how to build a good team and how to build, you know, an effective working, you know, department and environment. So yeah, so I was very lucky to um, have got a place on that this year, something that I've always wanted to do. But you just never think you're good enough. So, <laughs> so I was very, very lucky and grateful for the opportunity. What led you to apply for that? It's funny, I've always been confident, but not in work, you know, maybe outside of work. I've always I've always been a co- I see myself as a confident person, but at work, I'm always putting myself down or I'm not as clever as my colleagues. And I think, you know, when somebody said, oh, you know, you'd be good, you know, leading a department, you know, you seem to make people laugh and people seem to warm to you. And I just thought, oh, no, that's just my humor. You know, that doesn't make a leader. Yeah. And then an experience I, you know, had last year, uh, 2019, I, you know, thought, well, actually, I've shown a bit of courage here. And maybe I should learn more about how a department runs and what I can do in the future to prevent this happening, you know, again. So I just wanted to learn more about the leadership and management side of things probably from personal experience and from other people's encouragement. So what did happen last year, which made you have to kind of dig into your courage? So, yeah, so I was, you know, as a registrar at the time and I just was involved in a very toxic work environment and I just didn't understand it at first. You know, I'm, I was I was probably quite naive. You know, I'm I'm a very optimistic person. I see the best in everybody. You know, I just I've never I went to an all girls school. I, I don't like conflict. I don't like confrontation. I don't like 
people making others feel uncomfortable. It's just, you know, it's not necessary, you know, and I started to wonder, you know, I was not being included with, you know, some things or, you know, there were comments flying around. And at first I thought, oh, you know, it's, um, it's just the, you know, the department, that's how they run. And, you know, there were various people who are known for that type of humor, if you'd call it that, or the way they, you know, spoke about things or, you know, their mannerisms, you know, it was, oh, that's what they're like. And I just thought, okay, well, you know, I'll go along with it. I started not to enjoy coming to work. And I think that was the key for me. When you think you're not enjoying coming to work, there must be something wrong. And I I didn't think it was to do with me. So, um, yeah, and that's that's when I thought there was something, you know, not right. Could you give us an example of a comment where you thought that doesn't feel appropriate, but I'll go along with it? Because I think in everyday life, we hear comments and you know, like sometimes they take you by surprise and you, you don't know how to respond in the moment. It's only when you go home, you think, hang on a minute. So could you help our listeners understand what was being said around you or about you where you thought that's not right, but you didn't say anything, you let it go? You know, we had a lot of pressure in our department because there was a lot of staff absence, which is, you know, that happens. And understandably, that's going to put an enormous amount of pressure on colleagues and, you know, patients and, you know, the hospital staff generally. I just remember I just was very burnt out at one point because I was stepping up covering rotor gaps and, you know, I I just didn't feel well. And I took a day off, basically. And, you know, I I called my colleagues and I said, I'm, you know, I'm very tired today. You know, I've just finished an on-call shift. I'm, I'm not going to be able to come to work. I think I just need a bit of a break. And it was just literally one day I needed to recuperate. And I'd been to a conference the week before where, you know, burnout was the topic amongst juniors. And, you know, and they say, you know, it's not a failure of the staff. It's the failure of the environment. And I thought, well, that's, you know, people are going to understand, you know, we're covering an enormous amount of hours, which is not normally in our contract. Yeah. And I was called into you know, a room and before my shift even started and I didn't even get asked, you know, are you okay? You know, what happened yesterday? Are you feeling well enough to come to work? And instantly I was coming to do another on-call shift um, that morning. Yeah. And I just, I just got taken back really because it was more, you know, negative comments like, you know, you're, you know, we think you can't cope, you know, you're struggling, you're not like your other colleagues, you're not maybe acute medicine is not for you this is the career you know you've chosen the wrong career you know maybe you're not good enough for acute medicine and I thought I just sat there and I thought well actually I'm quite resilient you know that was like a couple of days off in seven months and you know I do like I said I I exercise I'm very I'm very fit and you know as a person and you know I can stand quite a lot of things and yeah, I was I was taken back by that, you know, and yeah, it just shocked me. But I, I carried on. I, I, I said, you know, I, I thanked them for the comment and I'm, I went and did my on-call shift. Why would you thank them? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't thank you know. for making me feel like crap. I know. Um, 
I just thought, well, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. it you know, it's my senior. Were they looking out for me? You know, or, you know, were they actually concerned? Was it me? Was I missing something? You know, and um, I just thought well, the the thing I was worried about the most was I was 20 minutes late for my handover, you know, and the poor night team was still waiting for me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to get them home. You know, so that was what was running in my mind. And I just thought, no, I'm going to crack on with my on call. I, I put it to bed. But when did it resurface again? That was on that was the start of my annual leave. I happened to just tell my partner, you know, at home. And I just said I had a funny comment today. And then I think it's when other people listen and take it in that they say, actually, I don't think that was meant like that. And that's not made you feel nice today. So that's quite worrying, you know, and, and then after that, I spoke to a couple of my friends who are very strong women in the, you know, banking world and finance and, you know, and I told them what had happened. And they said, Katrina, you know, you should actually write what happened down. And then I realized, actually, is this something more serious than, you know, than I thought it was. So obviously, you don't work there anymore. And you're very happy where you are now. But what what did writing down, what did that, that clearly there was a series of events. So you had those comments, you wrote it down and then kind of what happened? How did it escalate to you removing yourself from that environment? It was quite a long process and I didn't really know what to do. So I actually attended a conference, which was I was invited to by a medical director, um, which I found on you know LinkedIn. That's why that community is great for me. And um, he invited me to this very, very good conference on, you know, raising medical concerns and, you know, about undermining and patient safety. And I listened to a talk and they said, you know, if you have been made to feel uncomfortable at any one point, just document everything, even a corridor conversation or, you know, a conversation in one to one or just something that you walk away from that conversation and it just does not sit right. Just document it, even if it's on your iPhone in notes, you know, it doesn't matter. And then I started just to accumulate. It just quite kind of happened a lot. And even when I raised it, you know, to a supervisor, they, you know, just brushed it off and said, oh, you know, just, you know, take a Zen attitude and just get on with it. It's medicine for you. You know, you're not going to please everyone, Katrina, you know. And and I thought, well, that's actually, you know, who you're meant to go to support. And I just felt actually they were all quite good friends. And I thought, actually, I'm not in a good place here. You know, you know, there's not going to be one person who's going to help support me, you know, in that department, because, you know, understandably, you you know, they've worked together for ages. And it's it's quite brave for someone to step out of that and support somebody when they're not just colleagues, but they're friends. So I, you know, I had to resort to going to look elsewhere for support which I did find actually. So, um, yeah. Did you, so those written, um, incidences, did you escalate them? Yes. Yes. And I, I did find the value of documenting everything. I think I didn't know the value of literally just having something on paper and, you know, and I, that's now what I encourage others to do because without 
any evidence you have got no leg to stand on and unfortunately you know as I don't know if if you know people are aware but you know there's lots of terms of whistleblowers I mean I don't even consider myself as a whistleblower I didn't whistleblow on patient safety this is just something you know individual that happened to me you know and I just raised concerns about you know the culture in the department it wasn't you know very widespread it was only happening to me but you know I knew it, it happened previously within with previous years but yeah, I think documenting everything was my kind of journal. And then I it just accumulated and accumulated. And in fact, I didn't even go looking for it. You know, it just was naturally happening on a daily basis. So I was like, oh, I've got this comment today. I'm just going to document that. Oh, I've just had this today for no reason whatsoever. I'll just document that. And then I just accumulated quite a lot of evidence and yeah, and then I I raised it to seen you know seniors, and it was dealt with. So yeah, so it was it's it's quite interesting, but quite scary at the same time. And obviously, I respect your it's like it's the confidential nature of it. But when you say it was dealt with, what does that mean? Because you don't work there anymore. Yeah, so I you know I finished my placement there and. I moved region basically so I I got a choice to move to wherever I wanted in within London so I moved from that um region so R- London is split into different regions so I moved you know and I didn't want a full investigation of the department I didn't want anything like that and it was offered to me and I rejected it because I just thought well I've got what I've wanted and it's difficult you know it's it's very 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 difficult to change culture and that is something I'm learning you know in my chief registrar role and I'm also doing a PG cert in leadership and management and that is the topic that comes up the most how do we change culture and it's extremely difficult and I knew it wasn't going to be up to me you know that that's something that I'm not going to sort myself you know I just want to remove myself from that environment. It's never happened to me before. And the best thing for me to do was to remove myself. Yes. And that was that was done for me. And I'm I'm very grateful for that. So you've said obviously if in your training and education in this leadership role, you the conversation around how to change culture comes up all the time and it's very difficult. What are you learning that can be done? Well, I'm still on the journey. (laughs) It's just so first of all, I think what's really interesting is leadership. There are so many different styles that I didn't know about. You know, you just think of a leader as a leader and that's it. And it's a personality. And I've actually just submitted a, you know, 3000 word assignment on toxic leadership. I basically used that as an example. And I saw that all the different, you know, bosses had different leadership styles. And I think that's really interesting. And obviously some dominate over others. And I think it was a very toxic leadership role where it's like, well, you do this and this is, you know, what this is what's going to happen rather than like a compassionate or a collaborative leadership. You know, if we're if there's going to be rotor gaps, we'll step in and help. You know, it's it lacked that kind of leadership. But yeah, changing the culture, I think it it's a long process and I'm still learning on how to do it. You know, raising concerns, I think that's the first step. So I think definitely raising concerns within the department or within within, you know, senior managers, that's probably the first step. Because if you don't raise it, then the behavior is just going to continue. 
you know, I worked in ED and, you know, their team was so collaborative. They just were so inclusive of all their staff. And I, I really got on, you know, with that, you know, because I was quite, a, I was quite at the front line anyway, being an acute medic, you liaise with your ED colleagues. But it's just like how different teams dealt with pressures because the ED teams across the country are always under the most pressure, I would say, you know, and they didn't seem to exclude anybody or make anybody feel bad. Like all their registrars, you know, were very happy working in the ED team and they were even more stretched than probably we were. So, you know, I think it's just about how you deal with that stress. And some people don't deal with stress well. And of course, it's going to affect everyone. You know, we're only human. Just because we're a doctor doesn't mean you're going to be healthy all the time. Just because you're a hairdresser doesn't mean you're going to have perfect hair. If you're a dentist, you're not going to have perfect teeth. But people have this they have this role of you, like you're a doctor, you're never ill, you know, you come to hospital, you're meant to treat people and, you know, and, and it is, you know, you, you just tend to neglect yourself. And like the college, for example, the Royal College of Physicians, they're so, so supportive of, you know, everybody in that college and, you know, outside the college. And they, they recognise that we should be looking after each other. And that's why, you know, I was very grateful to have good colleagues there who supported me because they recognize that you have to look after the individuals to make the team efficient and safe. And how do you look after yourself in times of stress? So friends obviously are very important to me and especially I've got quite a lot in the NHS. So that's quite nice. Although sometimes our rotors do clash. Yes. And then obviously, you know, before COVID, you know, you'd go out, you'd have a meal, you know, would go to restaurants exercise for me is also very important so I'm quite into my high intensity you know interval training so hit but I have put that on hold for a little bit because I've just been you know working quite a lot but exercise especially books on the tube when I had like an hour commute I would you know yes listening to music is great but I started to read more books and I realized that I would just come to the hospital and I'd be so calm because I'd be in this other world of what was happening in my book. Um, so, yeah, so just reading, music, exercise and good company, surrounding yourself with positive people. I, I think that is the best thing you can do. And it's hard to find positive people and you don't positive, you know, doesn't mean that you have to be happy all the time. But it's like knowing, you know, there's a saying knowing that better times are coming and you just need to find those people who can just support you and you can support each other. I agree. You said before you really didn't like conflict. As a leader, do you think that there shouldn't be any conflict and should we run away from conflict? No, so this is the thing. So conflict, when we're in our sessions, when we're, you know, in the breakout rooms for when we're studying about leadership, you're going to, you're not going to please 100% of people. And some people will understand, they'll say, okay, that's fair enough, we'll do it that way. There'll be others, you're just going to upset. And, you know, and I haven't reached that point yet, because I'm not quite there, like, you know, I'm not running my department. But for example, on call, you know, I do have a small team of juniors and and I in my mind, I know how many patients each junior at that certain level should see on a, you know, on a 
take shift, for example, sometimes I feel a bit guilty, you know, pushing them saying, do you want to see this other patient? And, you know, and I know it's lunchtime, but they've been, you know, they've been a bit slow or, you know, they've not, you know, and it's, and I always ask, you know, is there anything I can do or are you struggling with anything? And, you know, they say, no, no, I'm fine. But they've just taken that bit longer. And I think, I think always ask, you know, about their ideas first, you know, is there something that I can help you with that, you you know, because I do expect you to have seen this amount of patients before this, you know, midday, for example. So just raise what you think the standard should be. And then you'll normally get an answer from them, you know, oh, I'm just very detailed. Sorry, I'm just struggling with taking this history. But if but then you will obviously get the people like, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, it's time for lunch now. You know, so it's difficult and I'm still learning how to go about it. I don't know. I just listen to their opinion first. And then I would say, well, when I was at your level, you know, I just thought, you know, this this is a good way of approaching these things. And I found actually that I got more stuff done by doing it this way. So maybe see the patient first before reading about them for like an hour, you know, because you don't know what's happening behind that curtain, <laughs> you know, go and see the patient and then document everything afterwards, you know. And then they see it, you know, in a positive rather than a negative. So I I never enforce anything. So I won't say, you know, go and see that patient now. You know, I would say, you know, would you mind or, you, you know, if you need to, if you feel like you need a break, then, you know, go. But otherwise we should go together and I'd be more inclusive. But it's hard. It's hard. You know, I haven't come across p- proper conflict yet because I, I'm not there. You know, I'm attending these board meetings and actually everybody seems to be getting on with, with each other because it's we're, we're all going through a very similar time at the moment and people are very understanding of each other. But yes, no, I do know there's going to be conflict, but that's probably something that I'll know how to work, you know, how to deal with when I've learned that bit myself. Do you have a coach? I don't have a personal coach, but I have very, very good mentors who I've recognized throughout my career. So literally seven, eight years as a doctor, I have picked out consultants or registrars who are now consultants when I was a junior who I will always turn to. So even from my foundation year, which was back in 2013, I am still in contact with supervisors and I'm still in contact with supervisors from my undergraduate and my postgraduate degree. So we, yeah, I I will always turn to them and say, I need your help again. This is what I'm going through. And they've, you know, it's it's fantastic. And I, I don't, you know, just because you move on, you move hospital, you move region, you move county, you move, you know, city. I just, you know, I love having that connection with people. And if I've recognized them to be a f- very supportive, I will keep hold of them because they're like gold dust. So I do have quite a lot of colleagues um, who I'm still very much in good contact with. So you're working in London now, yeah? Yes. Is that where, is this, is London your home? Is that where you want to stay? Oh, it's difficult. So I'm actually from Solihull, which is near Birmingham. So every, I, I get, <laughs> the no, because everyone is like, is that Birmingham? And I'm like, yes, it's outside Birmingham. Solihull people will understand. But no, <laughs> I do love being caught, you know, sometimes it does slip out the Brummie accent. Um, so yes, so I've got my mum and my sister are both there. My father passed away 12 years ago. So home, you know, to me will always be very important. 
But my school friends are actually all in London. And now I've actually made colleagues all over London. So my network is London. So you know, and I've had, I've met such incredible people in London and Birmingham is not even that far away. It's an hour on the train. It's very easy to get to, even though I have my consultants in Birmingham, when are you coming back, you know, have the job here and it's all very nice. So who knows, who knows? It depends. It depends where I end up and yeah, let's see. So I'm really enjoying London. It's just nice because, well, pre-COVID, you could go out on a weekday and it would still feel like it was a Saturday, which I really like. And you can meet friends and it's just it's just nice. Help us picture what a, a week is like in your life. <laughs> so it's changed actually now because um, I'm doing this leadership that you know course. So I'm now sixty percent clinical and forty percent leadership and management. So my 60% clinical is actually 100% on calls. So um, I'm doing quite a lot of on calls, but I love that. That's my favorite part of being a doctor is just getting it, sitting in the ED department, going to recess, seeing patients as soon as they walk through the door. That is exactly what I love. And I thrive when I'm, uh, I'm doing my clinical work, it will be on calls. A few days are on the ward. So that will be the acute medical, you know, assessment unit. So I will see patients from the night before and do a, you know, ward round and then do your various jobs. Also in a part of acute medicine is ambulatory care, which is our same day emergency care service, which is our clinics. So we see people who were discharged from ED, who we just need to chase some bloods for or query, you know, a clot in the leg or they, they need antibiotics. So, yeah, so it's it's such a variety. So you've got your on-call shifts, which are your long shifts, but they're the exciting ones. You've got your clinics, you've got your wards. And then as part of my leadership program, I'll be doing a lot of quality improvement projects with my trust. And I've got, like I said, I've just submitted an essay. So I'm doing all that on the side as well. So, yeah, that's my week normally. Gosh, uh, what area are you focusing on for quality improvement? So we have just got a brand new acute assessment unit. So we're just focusing on that. And it's taken a while for that to come into place. And we have arrived at exactly the right time because now we can do loads of projects to see has this new unit made it quicker for patients to be seen? Are they getting home quicker? Are they, you know, going to the appropriate ward quicker? So we're going to focus on patient flow. So there is another chief registrar at the hospital I'm in. So we're working together on patient flow. We're just going to do, you know, we're looking at times of arrival, times when they were seen and times for when they went home or they were, you know, they went to their discharge you know, destination. So patient flow is probably what we're focusing on at the moment. And then I'm also doing a well-being project um, just within the ward um, where you can post. So I bought, you know, those when you were younger, you used to have those Santa boxes, like Santa's letters, like a little post box. I've done that for the ward and I'm, it's only going to be up until new year, but just buying like little record cards and pens and then they can just write something. You know, if if one of the healthcare assistants just made me a cup of tea, I would be like, dear so-and-so, thank you so much for that cup of tea. You don't understand how, you know, much I needed it at that point. Post it in the box 
And then weekly or twice, you know, fortnightly, I will empty it with one of the juniors and we'll distribute it. So somebody has a little positive note, which is written by one of their colleagues. So I'm doing that. And then I'll be asking them if they found it beneficial because sometimes even receiving a positive, you know, it makes you happy when you receive something. But for me, it, it's the opposite. I, I get happy when I write something nice about somebody or I say something, you know, I've made someone feel better or you've just asked how people are. That makes me happier rather than me receiving positive feedback. So I'll do a little survey and see, you know, did it boost morale in the ward? So that's like a little project. Where do you want your career to go? <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm just grateful to wake up every day <laughs> and just go to work. And especially during this time, um, I remember I had two weeks off, you know, and I was just doing working from home and I was literally climbing the walls. And my, my friends were like, Katrina, this is amazing. You don't have to get up at six o'clock in the morning or go on the tube. And I was like, I need to see people. I need to go to work and, you know, be involved with something. And yeah, it's, it's, you know, I had to write my essay and things, but I don't know, I would like, I would like to run a department where I would, you know, I'd have a lot of different specialties there as well. So there's, I don't know if you've heard of the physician's associate and advanced, you know, nurse practitioners. So I want to be very inclusive with them. And I think they are very, very important um, within the team and they're great assets to an acute medical team. So I'd like to eventually, you know, because there's not many acute medical consultants in a department. You know, there's a few hospitals where it's completely run by acute medical consultants, which is fantastic because that is, you know, how it should be. But there are a few where there's no acute medical consultants and they're just they're run by specialty doctors. And, you know, it's very different. So if I can, even if you have three within six consultants that are acutely trained, that makes such a difference. So that's, yeah, so running a department where you've got a really good skill set and a variety of people, um, and then probably do more things with the Royal College, I think. You know, I I don't know. I don't know what's available, but obviously I'm doing their chief registrar programme. I just like how they treat other people. And I've seen, you know, and everyone I have approached at that college has been so, so friendly. And they've said they've just got good bosses and good leaders. And that's inspiring because you want to surround yourself by, like I said before, you want to surround yourself by positive people. You know, when someone is negative, and yeah, you can be negative, you know, something has happened on the way to work, or they've had some bad news. Of course, you know, we all go through stresses. But some people are just unfortunately negative people and you know you you can't you can't make excuses for everybody and I've just realized I you have to surround yourself by positive people and who have a good outlook on life and that's what I want to be surrounded by and I think you know I'm slowly finding all these people and it's like you know it attracts like the law of attraction you're positive and it attracts I really do believe in that I do as well yeah really really interesting so if I was starting on, or for those people that are starting on their their medical career and they were listening to you and they've seen you online or seen you in person, and they're thinking, how do I get there? How do I get to where she has? You've spoken about 
surrounding yourself with positive people you haven't explicitly said it but you're you like a challenge and that you're happy to kind of sign up for things and do things even if you're maybe a little bit scared or a little bit fearful you're happy to ask for help what other advice would you give to people that would say I want because you do more than one thing you do loads of things yeah I know so it's not been an easy ride and I have publicized that online and media and this so it's definitely not been an easy ride I have failed numerous exams and interviews and you know at one point I thought I'd never be a doctor and you know it's, you know it wasn't the end all or be you know but I it's something that I always wanted to do and I would say it's not a race take your time you know you have social pressures especially being female you know I hear it all the time oh you're not married oh you don't have ch- children and it just you know why be so negative it's it, that's another topic can I, I just can I just stop it, it infuriates me it really does I had this conversation but we we didn't air it but with Rachel yeah. Moses I do have to we do have to talk about this I as I'm so yeah. I've got three children yeah. And I think whether you've got them or whether you haven't, it's like you can't win. You know, like if people think you've got children, they think you're not as dedicated. Oh, my God, Tara, how do you do it? Your life must be a nightmare. If you don't have children, it's like, oh, why have you not got them? Oh, no. It's just like, it's so annoying. It's like I would, I actually, and I'm going to say this very honestly, I felt like a failure because I haven't, I'm not married and have children and I got made to feel like I failed in some way and actually no I'm you know it's just not happened for me yet and that is it and it's not like I chose my career over that I just haven't found that yet and it's not you know I wouldn't put my I wouldn't if I'd met you know met someone or you know I wanted children I wouldn't put my career on hold either I would go and do both you know at the same time and it's just it, you know, frustrating. So yes, so I would definitely because I encourage because I have a lot of messages from the undergraduates who want to do postgraduate medicine, and they say, "Oh, well, I don't want to be a GP at the age of forty or this." And and I just say, "Do what you want. What makes you happy?" Because oh, forty's so old. Yes, <laughs> I know, and you know it's true. And I I literally just say, "What is going to make you happy? Do it," because life is too short you only have one life to do what makes you happy and you know it doesn't matter about the social pressures you know if you if I wanted to stop medicine I could give up today no one is going to force me to do anything you know so just because you have these external pressures you have to just you have to know what makes you happy so it's not a race so you know enjoy it always like so if I just gave an induction to new doctors the other day and you know, it's take breaks because nobody is going to ask about your well-being or ask you if you've had a break unless they actually care. <laughs> you know, because medicine is so, so busy that people forget to look at the clock and people forget that they've been to the toilet. They forget that they've actually not drunk anything. So you have to be aware. And that's that's a good leader. You know, a good leader will recognize and acknowledge, oh, this team have not had a break yet, you know, but not many people do and it sounds silly but you you in medicine it's just a constant there is no there is no lunchtime break you know it just carries on so you have to encourage people to go for breaks never be afraid to ask for help no I always get I'm going to ask you a stupid question and I literally tell them off I'm like nothing is stupid you know it doesn't matter just ask me whatever so 
always ask for help because at the end of the day, you're dealing with people and it's life or death. And don't be afraid. You're not expected to be a consultant as an F1. You know, even a, a registrar, I'm, you know, not ready to be a consultant yet, you know, and I'm probably never, you know, it's just something you're never going to be ready to do. Yeah, I just think support is always there. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You have to look after yourself because, you know, and especially during this time that we are, we've all been stretched mentally, physically, emotionally, it's had an impact, you know, how I was saying it's had an impact on my personal life, you know, work, you know, going through stress with my work, you know, environment. And, you know, and you just have to acknowledge, okay, this is what happened. And this is how I'm going to deal with it now. And, you know, and that's it. But, you know, it's, it's something that you just have to take each day as it comes and don't look too far ahead. Otherwise, it will get overwhelming. Some quick fire questions. Okay. Ah. <laughs> What's the most embarrassing thing that has happened to you at work? Okay. <laughs> so I don't, I, there's probably a lot. Like, okay, there is a lot. Um, being called like 10 years old is quite, not. that's not embarrassing. That's actually a compliment. Okay. One of them was, and my SHO, my, ju- my junior doctor at the time did not even tell me because I think she was just like embarrassed for me. <laughs> I had gone to the loo and I was wearing a like a dress and basically I had tucked my dress into my underwear <laughs> and I was walking around the hospital for, and I was like I think it's a bit breezy and, <laughs> and, and, and she was with me and we still laugh about it to this day this literally this elderly gentleman came up to me and he was like excuse me love and I was like oh I'm sorry yes how can I help you you've you've got to your dress your and I was like <gasps> And I was like, how long have I been walking around like this? Because I was getting funny looks. And, and she was like, oh, sorry, Katrina. I, ju- I just didn't know how to tell you. I was like, well, you should have told me. So anyway, we laughed about that for ages. So that's not something embarrassing. <laughs> what is your worst habit? Being a bit OCD, I think. I think I'm a bit, I don't know. It's not a habit, I, I don't know. Like being a bit particular, like, you know, I'll take over the night registrar and they'll, ha- you know, the list of patients will not be in like the order I want. So I will literally, everybody knows to leave me alone for like 10 minutes with a coffee to organize the list into how I like it. And I think I do feel a bit bad sometimes. I'm like, look, I just need five minutes to just sort this out. And everyone's like, no, 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 that's fine. So I'm like, everybody get coffees. <laughs> maybe being a bit too particular. I don't know. Another, I don't know. I'm I'm obsessive with cleaning as well. Like I like to be clean all the time, but that's, I, I don't know if that's an annoying habit. I don't know. I don't really have like any bad habits. Like I don't do anything weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, what mistake do people often make about you? That I'm probably a doormat or like I'm too, too nice and I'm too kind or sometimes I'm a bit. Yeah, I always get, oh, you know, Katrina, people take advantage of your kindness. And I get that a lot. And probably people have, you know, and it's and it's upsetting because it generally came from a good place. And you can see which people have taken advantage of the kindness but actually, you know, I'm, I've dealt with a lot in my life, you know, personal, work-related, family-ish, you know, and I'm actually very strong inside and it's not a weakness being kind. Like, I don't understand why they think that 
you know, a senior leader or a senior manager has to be this scary person or, you know, like intimidating. And, you know, being kind is not a vulnerability. And I think that's what people mistake me for. Like they probably don't think I'm strong enough because I'm too kind, if that makes sense. I'm quite soft. I'm quite, you know, I like to hang out with my juniors sometimes rather than this, you know, my uh, actual colleagues, but it's, it's not a weakness at all. It's actually a strength. So I think people get the wrong impression of me there. Okay. Who in your life inspires you to be better? So obviously your, you know, colleagues, if you see, you know, if you work with really good colleagues, you know, like consultants I've worked with, you know, you make notes and think, oh, the whole team love that consultant that, you know, and you pick personalities from there. But actually, I'm going to be old fashioned and just say my mum, because she is the most, she's the strongest lady woman I know, you know, having been a widow from 50 years old, and looking after me and my sister, my sister's a psychiatrist, and I'm doing medicine and, you know, we all live separately. I'm in London, my sister's in Birmingham and my mum's in Solihull. And I just think she is the one who's always got my back. And, you know, she will tell me, don't, I remember, and I wrote this publicly online, but I, when I got my A-level results, everybody came out laughing and smiling and I came out crying and I sat in the car and everybody walking past could see me just hysterically crying. And my mum just said, Katrina, one day you will be a great doctor. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> you know, and, and like I was, I was begging universities to take me and they're like, sorry, you've just missed out, you know, by two marks on your chemistry. We can't do that. Go, you know, and then I had to go through the biomedical science route. It was awful. My life had ended. My friends, I remember they all went for champagne. I just remember this day, like crystal clear. I remember even where I was parked in the school car park. I remember my clothes. I remember everything. And I, She's always believed in me. And I know that sounds cringy, but honestly, she's she still believes in me, you know. And, you know, I said I'd never do, you know, I'd never be a leader. I'd never tackle like conflict or comfort, you know. And but she she actually said, you know what, Katrina, your father was like this. He defended, you know, like his teammates and he liked a positive work culture. And I think that's coming out in you. And that just even made me more upset, but, you know, in a good way. So, yeah. So I would say she is she's the backbone, really. And the last question, which will divide the nation are you a cat or a dog person? Oh gosh, okay, a hundred percent cat. I no, mean, no, no. We can't be friends. My cat Gizmo. No, Gizmo is famous on Twitter for being the grumpiest looking cat ever. No, okay. So I like all animals, but I have a. I've definitely been brought up with cats, and when you see Gizmo, you'll understand why. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, she's famous. Um, no, she's she's literally. I'm gonna have a look. Thank you so much. If people want uh, to connect with you online, where can they find you? So, if, like you know, Twitter or LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, wherever. I've got you know. I always try and answer messages, and I think this new technology of voice noting people, even on LinkedIn, is great yeah. because you can get a lot out. So. I yeah so anywhere really um, my name is not you know that common Polish and Pakistani name so you can find me and I'll try and get back to everybody but you know in time yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll regret that I know. 
Um, so if you're trying to find her, it, do you go by Dr. Katrina? Shape. Yeah, Dr. Katrina, only because my late father was a doctor and I find it really weird saying Dr. Shape. It really, okay. I don't like it. So I'm like, please call me Dr. Katrina because okay, Dr. Katrina. well with me. Thank or, you so much. I don't even mind. I don't even, yeah, that doesn't bother me. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.